hope is the alchemy that turns a life around, even when you face, you know, terrible crises. Hello and welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I'm Will Rycroft and in these very tricky times, we wanted to continue to bring you podcasts that will entertain, enlighten and hopefully help anyone listening to deal with the altered landscape in which we're all living. In this episode, we'll hear from psychotherapist Julia Samuel, who has written previously about grief and who tackles the crisis of change in her latest book, This Too Shall Pass. As well as the changes any of us might encounter through time, I wanted to know from her how we might all better deal with the extraordinary changes being forced on all of us at present. What followed was a fascinating conversation. Enjoy. Julia, thank you so much uh, for joining me remotely uh, for this podcast. I should ask, first of all, how are you doing? Because, of course, your work is very much about meeting people face to face. How are you doing psychotherapy in this new world that we live in? I'm, I'm actually, I mean, I feel lucky that my job is still working. So many people have kind of been suspended into no man's land of not being able to work. Um, but I'm having to learn a lot of technical skills which make me hit my head against a brick wall and scares me because I'm so bad at it and my daughter is living with us too and she looks at me with a lot of um, frustration when I keep on putting on the <laughs> six-year-old voice saying Tasha I can't do and but um, she's very good and she helps sort me out a lot so thank goodness for her. There you go. She's earning her keep if she's helping you with the technology. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, your your new book, This Too Shall Pass, it, it looks very specifically at the the ways in which we come up against various crises in our life and, and, and the, particularly when we are forced to look at how we've changed um, and how life will, will sort of make that change happen. Um, do you want, I, you'll do a far better of sort of job of explaining what's in the book because there are various stages in life that you look at various changes that we we are likely to go through could you tell us a bit more yes I mean and also the strap line kind of matters because it's this too shall pass stories of change crisis and hopeful beginnings and I think in some ways that shows the kind of waves that we go through with change that Hmm. um you know, research shows that change happens to us every seven to 10 years, whether we choose it or not. Um, And that those that have the capacity to adapt and don't fight the change, but embrace it and have the courage um, to let it change them and the endurance to look at sort of uncomfortable truths, they have more joy and success in life. And, um, so do the people around them. Whereas those that try and kind of will, kind of wrestle against it, don't embrace it, um, have uh, have a harder time um, every time change hits them and, and also less joy and success. So it's a huge part of our um, happiness. And it, I think it's an area that's very un... Um, examined because we kind of think oh well you know we all know that we sort of change as we grow up and we get older and we change as we get married or don't get married and have new jobs but actually no one really talks about the process of it which is you know the event is normally quite simple but the Mm. psychological process of adaptation is quite complex and then I think people often think they're doing it wrong and everybody else is somehow doing it right Mm. um because there's a sort of, you have to, it's invisible. It's sort of under the waterline. 
some people, I think, will have an, a really good, clear idea about some of the obvious changes that people will go through. So um, you, you mentioned about love, of course, and people will know that relationships are, are hard. And, and as you change through your life, if you're not changing in the same way that your partner's changing, that can cause friction and that can cause problems in marriages, for example. Mm. And people will often, I think, particularly nowadays, know that that work is no longer the sort of simple, oh, you get a job, you do it for the whole of your life, and then you retire thing. The work has become far more complicated. And, and people are often doing more than one career in their lifetime. And that can be a huge change. Um, but you also cover really interesting areas like health and identity as well. Uh, something like identity must be something that you must be dealing with far more now than maybe 10 or 20 years ago, I'm guessing, because people are far more aware of of how identity can change. Yes, I mean, I think identity is at the heart of change. And I mean, it's very interesting what you're saying about marriage, because if we look at society and work, um, there's been more change around them in the last 50 years than ever in history before. So mm. everything is more fluid, you know, relationships, work, um, sexual identity, uh, gender identity, what kind of relationship you can have. And in some ways, people find that exciting because it gives you more possibilities. It feels less sort of um, imprisoning, you know, the institutions, these rules that you ha- that you had. But also it can create a sort of existential crisis because it gives you so many choices. So I think sometimes, you know, the Ten Commandments or Jordan Peterson's at the other end, 12 Rules of Life, people quite want guidance. They want something to follow. Yeah. Um, and what I hope in my book, that people will understand the process of change better and discover their own kind of rules for themselves and what supports them and so and part of that is identity and we all have many different identities um so we'd have our gender identity our role identity maybe a religious identity political identity work identity we all have multiple ones Hmm. but at the heart of each aspect of our identity is the need to be um, loved and valued and if there's an aspect of our identity that we feel is um, criticised or not accepted, that gives us intense um, pain, really, um, suffering. Mm. And so I think particularly if you're in a minority, whether it's gender or racial or, or religious or whatever it is, or outside what your family's norm is, that can be incredibly difficult, finding a way of that need to belong and be part of a tribe and wanting to love and, and be valued and yet being very different. And I think that's a big, particularly intense um, problem that people face now. Mm. Uh, we were talking earlier about technology helping people to connect in difficult times like yeah. this. I mean, obviously, people in a minority linking up with other people from that minority has been made much easier by the ad- advent of things like social media or sort of message boards or forums where those, I suppose those sort of smaller groups are able to find people like them and therefore realise that they're not alone. But at the end of the day, do they still have to come to terms with who they are themselves? That There's still that journey to make, isn't there? I mean, you've made a really good point. So I think um, social forums have really given people a voice that have never had a voice before. And that has accelerated their kind of um, their their acceptance or their visibility when they're mm. such a small minority. 
but still the the thing of needing to be part so you and and people feel a, a member of that tribe if they join up with those organizations or groups and that does help them but fundamentally it's the people close to you that matter to you most whether yeah. that's your family or your close friends and so it's those connections that you need to feel um valued and loved by and i think one of the interesting things when you look at evolutionary identity so we're talking about social media is evolutionary identity you want to be different and stand out in order to attract a mate yeah and also evolutionarily you need to be belong to the tribe to protect you because otherwise you're threatened and you're in danger if you're kind of um left by the tribe you you could get killed and so those those two aspects which i think play out in social media where people want to stand out but also they want the sort of tribe to accept and kind of give them praise and in some ways social media isn't the place to do that because you're very unprotected yeah so my kind of thinking around it is that you do want to stand out and you do want the praise but you should in your identity you should have a kind of identity that is for social media that isn't vulnerable and you don't expect to get real contact but you get followers for your work or for all sorts of reasons that you may want but for your kind of intimate sense of identity and value that needs to be with real people in live relationships so that you have separate aspects of yourself yeah yeah i mean there's there's always something slightly performative about social media profiles i think people put across a certain type of personality don't they um but as you say it would be good defense f- for yourself to make sure that you are not exposing yourself too personally on your social media uh, to that potential rejection or attack and which happens yeah we should definitely talk about th- this i suppose the world that we're living in now because i think whatever people are going through in their life uh, at this age that they're at or what's happening with their work we are all going through a genuine crisis and a huge change in how we live our lives and I think a lot of people will be confused and upset uh, for all sorts of reasons and, and maybe struggling to know how best to deal with it especially because we don't know how long it might go on for and what you know when it might end um, you have sort of your eight pillars at the end of your book where you yeah. talk about ways of dealing with with crisis and change and I wondered whether you could talk a little bit about how some of those might help people who are dealing with various problems thrown up by the coronavirus crisis. I definitely can I mean to, to start with I'd say that kind of across the globe we're all experiencing a living loss and that has all the um, aspects of grief although but it's a it's not around death it's it's around everyone's hopes dreams plans expectations um that have been completely battered um by covid-19 and everybody is kind of grappling with the the unknown landscape they find themselves with you know everything that they expected um kind of being crushed in front of them. I mean it, obviously it's worse for some people than others because mm. as much as it's universal there are definitely it's not equal. Um and so I think so the eight pillars what that helps with is give you a kind of framework for yourself to first of all allow yourself that whatever you're feeling is normal and um when everything is so chaotic externally it helps I think to have a set of pillars 
that you used to sort of support you. Um, and so the first pillar is your relationship with yourself. And one of the complexities of loss, whether it's through grief or a living loss, is that we often turn the pain of of it and the discomfort against ourselves. We turn it against ourselves and then we don't get the support that you need, that we need and we self-attack. So I kind of, the first one is to be aware of the sort of voice in your head, um, what's going on in you. And the key really is to be self-compassionate, to be as kind to yourself as you would a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you're aware of what is going on in you, the more choices you have. In all losses, um, the biggest predictor of outcomes is your love and connection to others. And that is one of the things that's really difficult right now. So, um, you know, the normal way of healing is, you know, having a hug, being close to people, being with close friends, you know, chatting. And people are doing it, but they're doing it through through screens. And I think that is better than nothing. Um, Mm. But there is a kind of tinniness to it, isn't there? You just don't have the same physiological connection. But um, I would definitely say that we now do need to adapt within ourselves to get as much as we can from the, the different platforms and have Zoom with family, Zoom regular, Zoom meetings with family, with friends, with so that you don't get into a bad sort of pattern um, of disconnecting because I think that can often increase your sense of loss yeah and within I'm saying so much you can tell me to shut up when you want no 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 it's all good stuff is, is this useful <laughs> well no, um, it's so interesting what you were saying there about you know one of the things that I've I'm I'm like you I'm, I'm a hold up with my family and obviously we have a sort of structures in place to help us get through the day but what I don't I'm, what I'm not able to do is is to simply see friends and it's amazing how much I miss being able to see them in person yeah. and as you say to be able to touch and to hug people um is a weirdly important part of just a normal day for me and so I find it very it's very odd that even after just a couple of weeks to, to have that taken away from you and to not know when you'll be able to see those friends again it's it's tricky isn't it and also it's sort of somehow going out restores you gives you a different energy that you go back and so you have more offer I mean you may come back knackered but you're in a different mindset so I can leave the house in the morning in really quite a bad mood and hate my husband but I can have an interesting day and then actually changes my perception of him and I quite like him when I go back without (laughs) having spoken to him at all just because I've had a better day and so when that's all within four walls and we're fighting over bandwidth and rooms and you know like everybody is right now yeah um it's much more difficult because you're asking so much from yourself and each other. And so that was my other point about your relationship with others. My kind of shout is that the secret of communication is the capacity to listen. I think we're all transmitting a huge amount and not being heard. So we transmit louder. And I think when someone really feels hurt, they feel known and feel connected to, and it slightly changes them inside and it changes their response to you. And the kind of depth of the meeting is much, much greater. Um, And for that, we need to slow down. And I think one of the, you know, 
you would never choose to have benefits from such a bad thing. I mean, you'd never choose to be in this situation, but there will be things that we learn from it. I think some of it is that we'll learn that slowing down gives us greater depth of what's actually going on in us because busyness is the biggest anesthetic along with sort of drugs and alcohol that blocks our feeling. And, you know, we, for change, you need to allow the feelings to come through. You You need to allow them to come up through you and out through you like a wave. And often it's busyness that blocks them. Because right at the beginning of this sort of lockdown, there were many articles sort of prophesying that, of course, a, a lot of families don't get to spend a huge amount of time together because of work. Now forced together in a house for the first time in maybe years, there were predictions about increased divorce rates. There were predictions about relationships breaking down because of people finally having to actually come face to face with with people. And part and of me wanted to, opti- and so, absolutely, yeah. I mean, but part of me optimistically wanted to think that maybe there was as much capacity for people's relationships to improve by having the time to actually talk and listen to each other. But as you say, it's absolutely crucial that we that the listening is a huge part of that, that we're not just simply talking at other people. I mean, I think I think that's true. I think if we... So one of my messages in the book is it, it is a growth mindset. If we have an attitude... So we're wired um, evolutionary again to have a negative mindset, to look for danger. Mm. And so everyone is feeling more frightened now because there is danger in the form of the virus, but also danger economically in so many other ways. And so everyone's gone on high alert into fight or flight. And so we have to work very hard physiologically to kind of wind our system down. And so that's one of the pillars, which is the mind and body, that you need to take exercise um, because it tells your body you've flown and it releases the the reduces the the amount of cortisol in your body and gives you the oxytocin so you're calmer Mm. and for the communication and the building of the relationships if you have the time and the kind of um growth mindset that i am going to use this time to build these Mm. relationships that attitude will support you through um so that your brain doesn't run you you collaborate with yourself if you like to yeah. try and use this in a positive way. Um, and often I find that kind of slightly American positivity really annoying. But <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's so un-English. But yeah. I think, you know, given we're stuck, you might as well blooming use it because you're never going to get, hopefully, you know, hopefully never get this mm. chance again um, to to have the conversations that you've never had to get mm. to know yourself in an unbusy way, to discover aspects of your whole family that you've never had. Um, so I think that is a is a big part of it. As you were saying at the beginning, that one of the things with change is that the uh, the unhappiness with change comes if you fight it and yeah. the, the success is if you embrace it and, and see the opportunity in it. So it, would that apply to anybody right now Is is rather than trying to make life go on as usual is to see the possibilities in in everything that has changed for all of us exactly is to to some extent surrender which we don't like to do we want to kind of marshal our day don't we because we've got computers and iphones that can do everything at such speed we want the fast track app that will sort this out that we want someone to come on the telly and say i've got the the vaccine i've got the this i've got that sorted we're all back to normal because we're used to technology and um, medicine fixing everything 
And mm. so this is the first time globally that something is overwhelming us and it it challenges our potency. But, you know, again, in the book, I talk about really fundamentally the things that matter to us most, which is life, having a child, death. Um, we have no control over. We can influence them, but fundamentally we have no control. And the mm. other thing is whether people like us or not. Again, we can influence. We have no control. So I think you know, that serenity prayer of recognizing the things that you can change, accepting the things that you can't change and having the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. That is a very kind of good guide right now is to sort of use this um, to know, to sort of embrace the things that really matter that you don't have control over. Mm. There's a large uh, group of people, I'm sure, who have a, a rising anxiety because of not knowing what to do or, or how best to cope with it. And that there's a, a calmness, as you say, that comes from knowing that there are things that you can control and the things that you can't. And once you've worked out which is which, it releases, releases a huge you. amount of energy. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. you realise it's a waste of energy to try and change some of the things yeah. that just cannot be changed. And I think people get into their heads. They keep thinking or Googling or searching and wanting lots of information. Mm. And news feeds, you know, they definitely have emotional contagion. If you read all these stories, it will literally send you on high alert the whole time. Yeah. So the third pillar is the way to manage emotions. So if you look at sort of predictors, so the biggest predictor of a happy and good life is your relationships, that when people look back on their lives, it's their relationships with others that matter to them most. Mm. And part of what contributes to those relationships is the way you manage your emotions um, and having high impulse control. And I think right now people's emotions are kind of running riot because they're frightened and they may be doing tons of things that sort of to try and control them. But really it's kind of letting yourself know what they are. And so like with loss, you cannot control it, but you can put yourself in a in a mindset and a, a way of being that allows the emotion to come through you and out the other side, that mm. when you try and kind of will it and block it, it intensifies it. And then you act out. So you shout at your partner or you kick a chair and break your big toe or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've obviously seen someone do that. a <laughs> <laughs> um, rig of truth about it. <laughs> yeah. But we need to take responsibility for our emotions and connect with them. And I think one of the um, things to kind of have stuck on your fridge or um, on your phone is halt. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're vulnerable to firing off. And, you know, so say someone's finished the milk and you know you didn't want to go to the supermarket for two days, your instinct would be to just scream at them and, you know, swear at them and stuff. And right now, we need to be more tolerant of each other and take a breath, walk away, get a glass of water, calm down and kind of rationalize that the milk isn't the end of the world. Because if you have that fight, that really makes your day a lot more crap than if yeah. you walk away. And then that fight will come back again and again. You know, all I did was finish the milk and you da 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 So it really makes a difference if you can slow yourself down and not kick off. So as you say, it's not about not feeling the emotion, but it's no. just not sort of, it's allowing it to flow th through you rather than sort of harnessing it and, and acting out on it. 
completely. And the last bit about emotion, it's like I'm writing a book talking to you, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) is to kind of recognize the difference between Mm -hmm. feelings and facts that we Mm -hmm. can conflate our feelings. Like, so we feel frightened and then we can start telling ourselves a story about the disaster scenario that we can see in front of us. And we can really put a lot of good imagination to it. And by the end of within sort of two minutes, we've got some scenario where people are weeping around our grave or we're weeping around somebody else's grave or we're out on the streets without a job. And really one way of managing emotion is to kind of recognize that a feeling is a feeling and a fact is a fact and keep your facts in the day of what you know today in the next few days and don't conflate the two. Very good. Um, Is that a top tip? It's a, it's a very good, I'm writing all of this down. Uh, <laughs> of course, I have your book, so it's all in there. But um, I mean, one of the things, obviously, with your work as a psychotherapist, the people who come to see you ha- have often reached a, a point of real crisis. They'll yeah. be very, very low. And of course, if they had had an opportunity to talk to somebody earlier, if they had been able to share some of that, what they were going through, then they, they wouldn't be at such a moment of crisis. And I know that you know Prince Harry, for example, has spoken about the therapy that he's been through and, and his thoughts that maybe if, if everybody had access to some form of therapy, possibly at the end of the week, instead of going to the pub and getting drunk, if we had a chance to sort of talk to somebody, it would make a huge difference to everybody's mental health. And I wondered whether you, you sort of agreed with that, whether that you thought that would have a huge national benefit. I, I always want to say no because it would be it's so atypical that I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would say no. Uh, I mean, I, I really, I think, I think knowing yourself and knowing the having emotional intelligence and ways of communicating that let other people know what's going on and building good relationships is what builds a good and and happy life. And I think it's if you have a family or best friends and close friends that you can do that with, that you can be completely honest with about, you know, your kind of underbelly, as it were, Mm. then you may not need therapy. But therapy as maintenance. I mean, I've been a therapist for 30 years. Of course, I think it's useful and effective. I mean, maybe Mm. not every week. So one of the case studies in my book was Jackson, who was a young man who'd had a a very, very difficult childhood and had a kind of sense of absolute worthlessness for himself. And I think for him, having therapy young really changed his trajectory of what his life was going to become. Because if he'd gone through life believing he wasn't worthy of love, he'd have acted that out in all of his relationships. And although it was painful, the therapy, it was relatively short. I mean, I saw him for about 18 months. And I think that really supported him then to go on and have stronger, loving relationships, which, you know, will mean that he has a has a happier life. So for and I think young people today are much more emotionally intelligent. They're, they're much more um, they don't therapy is much less stigmatized than it was and I think people like Prince Harry have really helped normalize it Mm. Um, so I think it's a very good sounding board to get to know yourself and I do think it is preventative medicine if if as you said if you go to therapy before you're in crisis you're less likely to get into crisis 
so it's not available for a lot of people uh, depending on where they live or what their sort of economic situation might be but is there an element where just simply having good communication with friends and family will help anybody to avoid sort of major moments of crisis or at least to play some part and not that everybody is a sort of armchair psychotherapist but but that just simply talking to people really does genuinely make a difference i think talking to people really makes a difference i think journaling is shown to be almost as as useful as talking so that sort of getting to know yourself by writing what's going on inside you in a journal and that mm. doesn't have to be sort of beautifully written sentences but it's the thing the process is having something incohate, sort of messy feeling in your tummy or in your chest or this sort of feeling you have. Going inwards, having words to describe it, voicing it, having the feelings that go with the narrative that what you're saying, that is the combination that releases you. And mm. if you can do that with friends or family, um, that is absolutely as good as it is with a therapist, yeah. I was talking to the novelist Jenny Offill uh, from America the other day. Lucky and, you. Um, I know, it was great. It was We had a lovely chat, but we were sort of joking about the fact that obviously this lockdown means that we may all be uh, dealing with about 8,000 quarantine novels in about six months' time as everybody <laughs> feels the time. But actually, your idea of people writing a journal might be far better, not only for them, but for the reading public, because, you know, it's sometimes better to keep that kind of writing to yourself rather than sending it out into the world. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I and I, and also I think it will be a historical document to look back on for your family and for your, your children and your grandchildren. And you always think you remember accurately, but actually it's the detail, it's the minutiae. It's mm. the day you went and um, you saw something like you. I went cycling yesterday and I cycled past someone who put her whole jersey over her head because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to catch my my viral load. And, you know, I would never remember that, but I put it in my journal and it's one of those kind of small um, moments, but it kind of tells you the the fear that is out mm. there, you know, that just mm. seeing somebody on a bicycle in a helmet, you know, quite old woman on a bicycle in a helmet is seen as a threat suddenly. Whereas before <laughs> she, she would have waved at me and said, hi, and how's your day? And then she, she literally pulled her whole jersey over her head. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's strange times, right? Definitely strange times. That's a very good visual image for us all to have about how bonkers <laughs> life has really got. Um, <laughs> Julia, it's been so fantastic to speak to you about this. You've you've shared very generously so much of what's in your book, but I know that there is so much more in there for people to to read and enjoy. And I think this very singular moment that we're living in right now is a real test for all of us, but there are lots of lessons from your work that, that are applicable to it and to help us sort of deal with it. Can I can I add one thing that I think is sort of crucial to it? Um Absolutely. It's, been, it's been really lovely talking to you, Will. And um so there's two things, really. One is that hope is the alchemy that turns a life around, even when you face, you know, terrible crises. And hope isn't just an emotion, although emotion helps. It is also a mindset that you um, have a plan of some light at what this will be like at the end of the tunnel and a plan B in case that one doesn't work and self-belief that you can do this and that will that will build and you can ignite hope 
by by doing that. And that does make an enormous difference. And also to know that I've seen, you know, hundreds of times from terrible losses and crises, there is something called post-traumatic growth. And that never negates or takes away the level of the loss or the meaning of the trauma. But people do discover aspects of themselves, their potential, what they believe in, what matters, um, their perception of what matters in the world changes. And in the end, that feels like growth. And I think there is a possibility for that, for that. But it never negates how difficult it is, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. It's a fantastically hopeful note to end on, as you say. So again, Julia, thank you so much for your time today. It's really good to speak to you. Uh, And obviously wishing you and your family uh, in your isolation all the best. Yeah, and to you, Will. Lovely to talk to you.